God bless you, everybody. <clears throat> Wonderful to be with you once again. I love the words of the song we were just led in singing, uh, yet not I, but through Christ in me. What a liberating truth that is. Uh, I wish all of God's people, including me, would really uh, in live according to that wonderful truism, yet not I, but through Christ in me. You know, we've been going through Judges. We're going to continue doing some more in that interesting book tonight. I was thinking of Samson, actually, who we'll speak of a little bit more this evening. And I was thinking of him as we sang those words. Boy, I wish they were true of him. His life wouldn't have been so tragic, but it was. So um, we're in Judges chapter 16 uh, tonight. We'll begin in verse 7. Again, a little background. Book of Judges, very spotted. Cycle of sin on Israel's behalf, and then they suffer the consequences of it, and they cry out to God, and he graciously and mercifully provides a deliverer or a judge. There were manifold judges who he graciously provided, one of whom was Samson, and we've been spending four or five times looking at his life. And uh, he was a very strong man, as, as you know, of course, and yet very weak morally, strong physically, weak morally. He had control over many things, but not his own sensuality, and it really got him into trouble. Last week, we saw his most recent failure. It involved a woman, a Philistine woman named Delilah. We were introduced to her last week, and we'll speak a little more about her tonight. She was offered money by her Philistine counterparts, quite a bit of money, if only she would find out and reveal to them the source of Samson's strength. That's what happened up until now. And now let's continue the story. It's in Judges chapter 16, verse 7. Here's what it says. Samson said to her, and the her, as I mentioned, is Delilah. Here's what he said. If they, other Philistines, bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried. Cords that have not been dried. If they do this, if they bind me with those, I'll become weak. I'll be like any other man. So what was he up to? Well, he knew that uh, undried cords were not very strong. They only became quite strong when they were dried. And so he's playing with Delilah on this occasion. These cords were actually the um, braided intestines of an animal. I want to show you this just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. These are um, beef. <laughs> These are twisted beef intestines. And they're real strong. They're actually treats for your doggies. I hope you're taking care of your doggies during this coronavirus time. They like these treats, but they're really hard to tear apart. And that's kind of what uh, Samson is talking about here. And so verse 8 says, that's what he proposes. Verse 8 says, the lords of the Philistines, they brought uh, up to her, to Delilah, seven fresh cords that had not been dried. And she bound Samson with them and she had these men lying in wait in an inner room, and then she said to him, to Samson, she cried out, Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he snapped the cords, you see, they, 
they really weren't very strong at the time. He snapped them pretty quickly, and his strength was not yet discovered. So verse 10, Delilah said to Samson, behold, you've deceived me. Yeah, no kidding. And the feeling is mutual. And she said, you told me lies. She's returning the favor. Quite a relationship they're having. And so she said, please tell me how you may be bound. Folks, there is absolutely no good reason for Samson to perpetuate this relationship. It's nuts. It just goes to show you, when you cross the line and get outside of God's will, it's kind of dangerous if you don't repent as quickly as possible because you get calloused, your heart gets hardened, and, and you don't think straight. So Samson has no business being in a relationship with Delilah. She's after money, that's all. So verse 11, he said to her, well, okay, if they bind me tightly with new ropes, which haven't been used, well, then I'll become weak, be like any other man. He's actually enjoying this little game he's playing. So verse 12, Delilah, she did this. She took new ropes. She bound him. She said, the Philistines are upon you. Samson, they were lying in wait in an inner room, but he, as before, he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Delilah, she didn't like it. She said to Samson, look up to now, you've deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, okay, if you weave the seven locks, this saga goes on, it's crazy. If you weave the seven locks of my hair, so you get an idea of his hairstyle. If you do this with the web and fasten it with a pin, I'll become weak, I'll be like any other man. And so while he slept, how does he sleep through all this stuff? My guess is... He was drinking and fell asleep. And so while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair. She wove them into the web and, and fastened it with a pin. She said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But as before, he woke up from his sleep. He pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. And thus she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've deceived me these three times. You haven't told me where your great strength is. And so... Now we read this in verse 16. It came about when she pressed him daily. She pressed him daily with her words and urged him. His soul was annoyed to death. Uh, does this remind you of somebody else, another Old Testament character in kind of a similar situation? It was Joseph, but he handled this daily temptation in an entirely different way, and the outcome of his life was entirely different. Remember, he was uh, enslaved, but uh, given power and authority in the home of the chief bodyguard of Pharaoh. His name was Potiphar, but Potiphar, when he was out, his wife took an interest in Joseph and enticed him daily, and finally he couldn't deal with this daily temptation do you remember so he left he she grabbed onto his outer garment he left it behind and he just fled just as God said with the temptation he'll provide the way of escape Joseph took it Samson refused it and the outcomes of their life was entirely different and so we read this in verse 17 so he told her Samson did all that was in his heart he said to her a razor has never come on my head because I've been a Nazarite to God I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaved, my strength will leave me. I'll become weak. I'll be like any other man. So what's going on there? So uh, there was a vow, voluntary, called the Nazarite vow. 
not Nazarene, someone from Nazareth. This is a different word. Nazarite means to dedicate. Some people in the Bible volunteered to take steps to render a higher degree of dedication and devotion to the Lord. This was true of Samson. And in taking this voluntary Nazarite vow, it only lasted for a limited period of time, there were certain things that person would forego voluntarily in order to indicate, oh no, I'm looking to God alone for joy and for happiness and for the satisfaction of my needs. And so they took a vow not to partake of any great products, things like that. And then there is this requirement for those taking the Nazarite vow. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 5. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor. So this is what Samson is referring to. No razor shall pass over his head. He shall be wholly set apart. Until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall let the locks of hair on his head grow long. So Samson, having participated in the Nazarite vow, didn't take a razor to his head. Therefore, we can conclude it probably grew long. And folks, uh, Samson probably had dreadlocks that looked like this. I'm not making this up. This is probably exactly what happened. He did it on purpose, you see. It wasn't a fashion statement. It was a statement of devotion to God. People would see this long hair. It might have been odd, you know. It was uh, fashioned in this way. People would have said, what's with your hairdo? And then he would have used it as an opportunity to say, oh, remember, I am dedicated to the Lord. I'm looking to him for the satisfaction of all my needs. And that's why I'm doing this. I'm not ashamed to belong to him. And so that is what was going on. Now, Samson made an incorrect attachment. He attributed his strength to his hair, the length of his hair. That's not true. It had to do with the God who was in him, but Samson missed the point. So verse 18, when Delilah saw, he told her all that was in his heart. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines once again. She said, come up one more time. He's told me all that's in his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and they brought the money in their hands. They gave her a lot of money. She would have been set up for life, but boy, she really lost, folks. Think about this. Ultimately, Delilah would die in her sin, at which time she would have lost everything. She would have realized all that which I gained in the wrong ways here on earth was really garbage in comparison to what I might have had throughout eternity. Reminds me of Mark 8, verse 36. What does it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I hope you and I are investing here in that which counts for eternity, not material things, but spiritual or immaterial things. Someone said this, those who have expended themselves at getting all they want have probably found out that they do not want what they have. Can you see this? Some of the world's most wealthy and well-endowed people uh, come to the conclusion it's vanity, it's emptiness, it doesn't fill the void on the inside. What a day for folks like you and I to help people to see that Jesus is the only one who really satisfies. Now, verse 19, she, Delilah, made him 
Samson, sleep on our knees. Here he goes again, sleeping. And called for a man, and he had him shave off the seven locks of his hair, and she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And so we read this in verse 20. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, well, I'll go out as at other times. Kind of cocky here. He'll sh- and he said, I'll shake myself free. But he didn't know. This is haunting. But he did not know, know what? That the Lord had departed from him. Haunting words. Let's not move past them too quickly because we don't want it to be true of us. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. You see, his strength was not in his hair. It was in his relationship with the Lord. And when he violated that relationship, when he rebelled against it and turned from it, he reached a point where God finally departed from him in the sense that God no longer supplied him with the strength he had. And so God no longer provided Samson with the supernatural strength he took for granted. He thought it was in his hair. Oh, no. It's in his relationship with the God whom he disobeyed and turned from. And so the Lord left him, and he did not know it. It's haunting. Now, don't misunderstand here. It doesn't mean that he, in our terms, lost his salvation. Folks, that's a good subject for another day. That's not possible. Um, No, 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 no. It's a gift given by God's grace and he never takes it away. No, no. What's in view here is not the loss of salvation. It's the loss of capacity to bear fruit for God, to serve, having been strengthened by Almighty God. That could happen to you or I. Let's learn from Samson. Oh, no. We'll never forfeit the Father's love. He'll never withdraw his salvation. But there could come a point where he says to you, to I... I'm going to have to take away the potential and the possibilities I had for you. You're so quenching my spirit in you, the source of my enablement and empowerment in you. I'm going to depart in that sense, and you're not going to be able to bear the fruit I wished you would have borne. So that's what happened, and here's what happens next. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him. Gouged out his eyes. Look at this. Gouged out his eyes. Boy, I don't want to put a positive construction on that. But we mentioned earlier that uh, Samson had a real eye problem because that's true with most men. His was absolutely out of control and unbridled. What he saw, particularly in the form of a woman, he went after. I wonder if Almighty God, who still loved him, I wonder if Almighty God allowed the Philistines to do this because it would have given Samson an opportunity in his physical blindness maybe to reflect on the fact that he misused his capacity to see. He misused his eyes before. Well, they did this and they brought him down to Gaza. I mentioned to you last time where Gaza is on the Mediterranean coast, western part of Israel. They brought him to Gaza, Philistine territory, They bound him with bronze change, and you know what he was? He was a grinder in the prison, a grinder in the prison. What's significant about that? Well, for one thing, it would have been absolutely humiliating for this great deliverer of Israel to be reduced to this function. 
Uh, second reason why it's humiliating is that grinding of the grain was exclusively a woman's task. So they took the great Savior and Deliverer of Israel and reduced him to this, quite humiliating indeed. And so this takes place now in verse 22. However, the hair of his head began to grow again, to grow again after it was shaved off. That phrase reminds me why you don't want to speed read scripture. You want to kind of slow down. Think through this with me. His hair began to grow again. I mentioned to you his hair was a symbol of his vows to God, his Nazarite vow. Though his power did not come from his hair, the length of his hair was a symbol of his dedication to the Lord, of his being set apart unto God. And then he was shaved. Looked like it was over. Oh, no, but his hair began to grow again. And the regrowth of his hair was a powerful symbol of the fact that restoration in his relationship with the Lord was taking place. I know it's kind of a little weird phrase to take comfort in, but it's my favorite phrase in this whole text. His hair began to grow again. You know what this means? No matter how far you or I may have fallen from Almighty God, the God who loves us and saved us, that need not be the end of the story, for God will never, never be through with his kids, with his sons or his daughters. And so the regrowth of Samson's hair in my opinion, was a marvelous picture of this. His hair grew back. By the way, <clears throat> I did a little study on how long it takes for hair to grow back. It, it doesn't grow back quickly, generally. It's a rather slow process. The average growth rate of human hair is about one-eighth of an inch. That's it, per week. So that amounts to about six inches per year. And so to grow hair... Solomon's or anyone's down to one's waist would take about six years. <clears throat> What's the point? Restoration is there for God's grace is greater than all our sin, but it's a slow process. So if you've sinned against God, confess and run to him for mercy. You're going to receive it. I guarantee it because he's the God of all mercy. But don't rush back into normalcy. No, no, no. It's going to take some time for full restoration. That's a healthy thing. It's a deterrent from you or I doing it again. But always know your hair is going to grow back because of the God of all grace. So verse 23 now says this. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice. Look at this. To Dagon, their God. Not the true God. No, no, no to the false god, Dagon, their god. You see what Samson did gave them an opportunity to worship not the true god, but a false god. And they went after him and they're rejoicing for they said, our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And so I uh, saw this and uh, thought, oh my goodness, when we sin, the impact is not just on us, it's even on those around us, you know, we detract from the reputation of Almighty God when we sin against him. By the way, here's a depiction of Dagon. He was often depicted as half man, half fish because the Philistines were very passionate, active fishermen. 
and they believed Dagon was the god of fish and he would bless their catch and therefore he was depicted this way. And now they really turn to him and they're thanking him for victory when in fact they're thanking nobody. They're thanking a false god. And this is the consequence of what Samson did because he so devalued, minimized, and misrepresented the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These poor people, the Philistines, had no cause to think about the true God. Instead, their focus of attention was even enhanced more with regard to their own God, Dagon. God's name, not just Samson's name, but God's name was tarnished. Don't you think God puts himself at risk when he identifies with us? I guess in some senses he does, but he loves us so much, he's willing to identify with us, even though at times we don't represent him well. Well, now verse 16, verse 24 goes on to say, when the people saw him, they praised, you see what they did? They praised their God. What a shame. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. This is called a false attribution. They were attributing victory over Samson to the power of Dagon, the false God, rather than the sovereignty of the true God. And that's just what Samson did, devalued almighty God. So verse 25 says it happened when they, they were in high spirits, the Philistines. They said, hey, 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 let's get Samson that he may amuse us. And so they called for him from the prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, you see, he was led by a boy because his eyes were gouged out. He couldn't see. He said, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them and, and the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. So I looked at uh, a little bit of a study that was inter interesting to me on, on ancient pagan temples and they really are similarly constructed and so I'm gathering that this temple at Gaza was like it. It would be like this. There would be a courtyard that's the place where they positioned Samson and they were amused by him. They made kind of a clown out of him. And then the roof of this temple would be supported by wood or stone pillars, likely wood, on stone bases. And the real high and mighty dignitaries would be under this roof, front row seats, so they could look into the courtyard and see the one who was amusing them. But other people were very anxious to get in on all this, and so they would make their way up to the roof of this temple. It was a flat roof. In this case, there are thousands of them. Can you imagine? They're all jockeying for position. They want to get as close to the edge as possible so they could look down and also have some fun with Samson, the great deliverer of Israel. Can you see how they would, in that situation, have destabilized structurally the roof of the temple? So that's kind of what's going on here. And so verse 28, Samson called to the Lord. You know, we rarely see him doing that. And I guess it took affliction for him to be reminded God is there. He calls to the Lord and he says, oh, Lord God, a very... Uh, personal. Uh, Lord is personal. God uh, indicates his greatness. It's as if Samson is being restored and renewed. 
He said, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And so his motive, yes, is personal vengeance, but I think the other motive is a higher one. I think he's saying, oh God, if it be even in my death, <clears throat> give me one more chance to live according to your calling on my life. Let me in your strength, I repent, let me in your strength really be the deliverer of the people you intended me to be. And so verse 29, Samson, this is what he did. He grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. He braced himself against them, the one with his right hand, the other with his left and he said, let me die with the Philistines. And he, he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it so that the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Here's a bit of an artist's depiction of the scene. You see the people below and on the roof. Those of the 3,000 who perished, this is, these are not your everyday Folks, they are the higher and mighty in the whole Philistine empire. They are the political and military leaders of the entire nation. So for all of them to be gathered together in one place and perish at the same time, can you see the chaos and confusion that would have affected the Philistines with for time to come? And can you see sovereign God one way or the other will accomplish his purposes through us? as he did with Samson. What's the difference? Samson didn't enjoy it. Not at all. God will not be mocked. He will be glorified. But he wants us to be willing and satisfied participants in the process. So verse 31, the last verse for tonight, his brothers and all his father's household, they came down, they took him, they brought him up, they buried him between Zorah and a place called Eshtaol, in the tomb of Manoah, his father, and thus he had judged Israel 20 years. Let me close by sharing just a few brief thoughts. His life, I'm sure you will agree, is probably one of the greatest tragedies in biblical history, maybe in human history. He so yielded to his sensual passions that he forfeited the Lord's best. So much did God want to do for him and through him. Therefore, it leads to this question, why do you think God would have included Samson's story in his book, the Bible? Well, that's because the Bible is honest, and in it, God gives us a very, very honest depiction of his nature and of human nature. It's not a pretty picture, but God gives it to us without cleaning it up, because he wants us to learn from it. Are you familiar with this verse? Is only half of it. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. That's the value of a story, even like Samson, spotted though it may be. We are to learn from it. Therefore, here are some things we could learn from Samson's life. As we close, let me point this out. Here's the first. God hates sin, not the sinner. <clears throat> he hates it when you and I, his kids, sin. Why? Because as with Samson, he sees what sin does to us. It doesn't satisfy. It makes us miserable. It affects the separation between he who matters most. And it robs us of the potential to be used of God. So God hates sin, but he'll never hate you or I when we sin. We can learn that from Samson. Second, 
God is willing to use imperfect people. Uh, I hope you don't think ill of me, but I take some encouragement from Samson, Samson's life. He was an intensely flawed person, and yet God still used him. Therefore, you and I are not disqualified in spite of our flaws and even sins. Confess, turn to them, run back to Jesus, and be expectant of him willing and able to use us even in spite of our imperfections. And then this final lesson to be learned from Samson, God is never through with us. Now this is a hard one to get because we so quickly are through with one another. That's the way it is. There comes a time even for the best of us when we say, I've had it with you. Enough is enough. You'll never get that from God. When once adopted into his family by faith in Jesus, his only begotten son, it's irreversible. He will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we have done outside of God's will, when we confess our sin, when we turn back to him with repentance, our hair will begin to grow once again. When we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God, we will find his mercy and he will use us again. I hope no matter what you've gotten yourself into, you realize if you're a Christian, you've not managed to get yourself out of the grasp, the hold, the loving hold of your father. Therefore, I would just pray that you would say, oh God, I am sorry for my sin, truly. I've tried it. It hasn't worked. I know you love me most. I know your ways are best. Would you please affect restoration and use me for your glory once again? Oh, God in heaven, I pray that be the heart cry. I pray that people move by your Holy Spirit in a situation even perhaps to a lesser degree, but even like Samson's, would learn from him and realize you stand ready to be faithful, though we be unfaithful. You stand ready to restore, to right relationship with you. I pray, oh God, even in this crazy and unstable day, stability in communion with you would be affected by people who don't have it now, while each comes to you, throwing himself or herself upon your mercy and grace and expecting you, oh God, because this is who you are, to forgive, to restore, <clears throat> and to be glorified through each of us again. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.